Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book By Searching by Isabel Kuhn with permission of OMF International, and we are on Chapter 8, The Moody Bible Institute. September 3rd, 1924, found me in Chicago, enrolling as a student in the Bible Missionary Course at Moody Bible Institute. This was a most unexpected turn of affairs and not the product of my own planning. I was so very Canadian in loyalty that I would never have chosen to come to the United States for my training, and I admired Professor Ellis so much that I would not have thought of looking beyond the Vancouver Bible School for my missionary preparation. But the Lord took the matter out of my hands. At the end of the school year, 1923-24, to I still lacked funds to put me through any Bible school. Outside of my parents and one other person, I told no one. God and his wondrous workings brought that one other person into contact with Miss Marjorie Harrison, whom I had met at the Furs. At that precise moment, she was asking him how to use some money that she had saved and inadvertently learned that I needed funds to train for China. It was Marjorie who chose Moody for me, directed by the Lord, I'm sure. Herself, a graduate of Bible Institute of Los Angeles, and knowing that this small Bible school right in the city where I was living, she still chose to send me halfway across the continent to Chicago, the largest school of its kind in the country. Moody Bible Institute offered rich opportunity for many kinds of Christian work. This is what I needed more than I knew. Marjorie explained that her money was limited to that little savings account. She would buy me a ticket to Chicago, but could not help me with the return fare. She would pay my room and board for one year, but no money for incidental expenses and she could not help me after the first year. The Institute had Employment Bureau to help students find jobs for odd hours and safe places. For the rest, I must trust the Lord. Was I willing? Fresh from reading Hudson Taylor's experience in proving God able to supply his need through prayer only, I was thrilled with the opportunity to go on searching. My brother had to make a business trip to Chicago at that time, so I had company across the continent. Dr. Isaac Page met us at the station and took me to the school. Otherwise, I knew no one in that big, whirling city. The Pages had just recently moved to Chicago themselves as deputation workers for the China Inland Mission in the Midwest. The first day of enrollment with its trips to this office and that for registration was bewildering. At the end of the day, I was truly weary. I was put into a double room, cheaper than a single room, with a strange girl who was European and spoke with a strong accent. The furnishings were very simple, and the house opened right on the street. Being on the first floor front, we saw people walking along the street, passed right under our window. I had never lived in a house which did not have a front enclosure, and it gave me an exposed feeling to be so near a public street. This, added to the weariness and loneliness, made me homesick. Can I stand this for two years? I was asking myself when a bus rumbled up to the stop at our corner. To sleep with my head just on the other side of a wall from such public things seemed almost scandalous. But in another moment, I was swung into the heavenlies. The bus was the MBI Street Meeting Group returning from the first evening's witness, and they had begun to sing. He makes the path grow brighter all along the way. He makes the journey lighter each passing day. Beautiful young voices in four-part harmony sung with a fervent faith in words that came right from their hearts. The singing thrilled me through and through. Something in that traffic held them there while they sang the hymn to the finish.
Oh, Lord, I prayed in ecstasy. Thank you. Thank you. This is the other side of the exposed existence comradeship and the things of Christ and in the cause of soul winning. And Christian friends who are my own age and can sing like that, oh, thank you, Lord. Truly transported into his presence, I nestled down in deep content and fell asleep. More good things awaited me. The next day I was called to the telephone. It was the dean's office. Miss Miller, there is a girl named Lily Billington who just arrived from Bellingham who would like to room with you. What is your pleasure in the matter? Oh, I cried. Is she really come? Yes, please. I would like so much to be her roommate. I met her at the first and she's a young school teacher. Yes, that is right, answered the office voice, but you will have to change your dormitory. We have Miss Billington down on the third floor, Ransom Hall Building, room 303. Will you kindly proceed to move there as soon as possible and leave your present room in a proper state for the new occupant? Thank you. Report to us when the move is complete. Room 303 Ransom Hall was much larger and higher above the street, much more private, and in every way a happier arrangement to my taste. Best of all, I was to share it with a girl from the Furs. We had just met the summer before, and I liked her sweet face. Billy and I were happy roommates for two years. Next door at 304 was a Scottish girl, Anne Barr, who years later was to be a namesake for my daughter and a very unselfish American girl, Ellie Deacon, who was later to play a part in my life that the wildest dreams could never have conjured up. What a meeting Billy and I had, and what fun to help her unpack and find that she had things I didn't. Pretty curtains for our windows and drapes for our trunks and lacy dresser scarves and so on. Soon our room was transformed into a real girl's bower, and my beauty-loving soul was deeply grateful. Mealtime was an adventure with hundreds of students all eating at once. Oh, the noise of the talk, the clatter of the cuttery and the dishes. The men sat on one side of the dining room, the women on the other, twelve to a table. A senior and a junior student were assigned to the end seats, but the rest of us changed places each day. Two students at each table were appointed daily to bring in the food and carry the dishes out. I was waiting in line one day for the hot vegetables. As soon as the bell rang, the food would be dished out to us, but there was still a moment before the hour struck. I was dreaming of Le Soulin, where I, turning around suddenly, encountered the eyes of another dreamer, the young man who ran the dishwashing machine. It was one of those shock encounters when you find yourself already over the threshold and into the other person's soul before there's time to knock for admission. Very embarrassing. Each of us looked away quickly and pretended not to notice, but it had happened. From then on, I was conscious of that dishwasher. Whether it was a full-time kitchen employee or a student help, I didn't know. The annoying thing was that I had become conscious of him. I had made my mind that I was not going to have any boyfriends at Moody. I had proved that they were distracting, and I wanted these two years to be given unhindered preparation for my life's work in China. I was extremely cross with myself to find out that as soon as I entered the kitchen, I looked every time to see if he was there or not. To discipline myself, I did not inquire his name or his status. Frequently, I had to carry dishes past him, and I felt sure he knew my name and all about me. I was correct, he did, but he never tried to speak, and I did appreciate that. I did not know that he had come to the Bible Institute vowing to have nothing to do with girls lest they distract him from his studies. But he had made inquiries as to who the girl was who wore the green blouse trimmed with brown swan down. 
Shortly after my arrival, Dr. and Mrs. Page invited me to supper in their apartment. He had long been my father's close friend, and I called him Daddy Page for years. After I'd taken off my wrap, he threw a bundle of photographs of the Institute and Moody Bible students into my hands and excusing himself while he went to help his wife in the kitchen. I looked over the pictures and came across one which greatly attracted me, the portrait of a girl who showed character as well as beauty. Oh, Daddy Page, I cried, who is this? What a lovely face. Is she here at the Institute? He came in and looked over my shoulder. Oh, that, he said. Yes, Isabel, she's a lovely girl. Her name is Catherine Kuhn. She has just graduated and gone on to Wheaton College. I wish you could meet her. She has a brother here at the Institute. Oh, yes, I said politely and quickly changed the conversation. Inwardly, I said, well, if her brother looks like she does, I'll stay away from him. Here's where you don't go to any mixed parties, Isabel Miller. Apart from the freshman reception, I quietly refused invitations to any party or picnic where young men would be present. That is during my first term. It was my second term before I found out that this reserve had been in vain, for I learned that the dishwasher in the kitchen was the brother of Catherine Kuhn. Of my studies during those two years and four months, I was ill and lost a term. I can only glance at the blessing they brought me. Dr. James Gray was president then. I was privileged to have a class under him. Bible analysis under Dr. Robert Jadaquist was an outstanding joy, and I later passed it on to the Lisieux Church, analyzing First and Second Peter with our Bible school students. Those notes are still being used. Dr. Elbert McCreary taught comparative religions and was one of my favorite teachers. He was himself the blessing with his gentle Christ-like life. Dr. Robert Hall Glover made me sit on the edge of my seat in eagerness, week after week as he presented the challenge of missions, and in another class taught the history of missions. His fire continually kindled my own. Talmadge J. Bittacover taught us part singing and conducting, which I was to use constantly with the Lisuf Church. We all loved Biddy, and his solos stirred us to the depths. I could go on, but I think the greatest help at Moody came to me in the practical work assignments under the direction of Mrs. Frances C. Allison. Every student had to take one or more assignments each week, and these assignments were changed each term, giving every student a great variety of experience. Open-air meetings among the Jews would likely mean rotten eggs and tomatoes pelted at you, so you wore your oldest clothes. I was knocked off the sidewalk into the street once when my turn came for Jewish work. Sunday school classes, hospitals, and jail visitations were considered the easiest assignments, and the Lord started me off gentle with these. A slip of paper from the practical work department told me I was assigned to teach a Sunday school class and do visitation during the week to the, in the Italian slums. I would work under the senior student, Miss Ethel Thompson, room X, 830 building, and I would please report to her immediately for instructions. So behold, a young moody freshman climbing the stairs of the 830 building and standing before a closed bedroom door about to knock. What would Miss Thompson be like? How could I ever do slum visitation? How my heart beat as I firmly knocked on that door. Once it opened, I was in for it. That is, I must plunge into soul winning, from which my shyness had always shrunk. The door was opened by a short, slim young woman, perhaps in her early 30s. When she heard my name, she welcomed me quickly with a soft southern draw. After asking me to sit down, she began, I suppose I better tell you about our assignment. We're working under a community house or a church in the Italian quarter. 
The minister in charge is a modernist and conducts dances on Sunday evening and so on. This is our big difficulty and the most discouraging feature. But we're in charge of the primary department on Sundays and have full liberty to preach the gospel there. They think we cannot hurt the little ones. During the week, we go into the homes, the tenement houses, knock at doors and present our message. The people are poor, of course, and many of them are Roman Catholics. But there have been a few decisions for Christ. Personally, I think the work needs prayer almost more than anything else. Tommy, none of the students called her Ethel, eyed this new freshman questioningly, wondering what the Lord had sent her in me. Remembering Mr. Fraser's lessons on the place of prayer in Christian service, I answered eagerly, Oh, I believe in prayer, too. I'd be happy to come over here to your room every day for a time of prayer together. Would you? Tommy asked, her face lighting up with hope and joy. All right. I'm working my way through school here, so I'm, I'm busy, but half an hour before noon each day. How would that suit you? Fit into my schedule and became an important part of my life. That first Sunday, Tommy took me to the community center and introduced me as her new helper to the Reverend Mr. K, the minister in charge. Fine, he said. How about having lunch with us today? I told the wife there would be a new work and we ought to get acquainted, so she's prepared. That meant our staying for the morning service. Mr. K spoke about courage or high ideals or gave some very verbal essay, but there was nothing in it to bring new life to anyone. After dinner in their apartment, he said to us rather patronizingly, You know, girls, I used to believe like you do. In fact, you may be surprised to learn that I am a Bible school graduate myself. But after graduation, I went into seminary and there learned that nope, no one nowadays believes that old-fashioned stuff. I lost my faith, as you call it, at seminary. But somehow our liberalism does not energize people like your teaching seems to. So when I found out how dead the work is here, I asked for a couple of Moody students to be sent to us to stir up interest in the neighborhood. You bring them in and we'll mold them into a good community. We stifled the comment that rose so quickly to our lips. And I said, this is very strange, Mr. K. You've departed from the old faith and I have just departed from liberalism to return to the faith. I lost my belief in God in college but I've done some personal investigation in that matter, and now I'm convinced that he is. And the only way to him is through faith in the atoning power of the blood of Christ to bring forgiveness of sins and eternal life. You and I are a contrasting pair. You have entered the misty flats while I have just found my way out of them, back onto the highway again. Mr. K's eyes sparkled with interest, and he leaned forward, plying me with questions. He was sarcastic and argumentative, but evidently moved. Tommy sat quiet, praying. She had never heard my story, but recognized instantly the working of the Spirit of God. When it came time to leave, Mr. K was belligerent again. You're too intelligent a girl to slip back into that old stuff, he challenged me. We'll have to have some more talks about this. You girls must come to supper some night after your visitation work. On the long ride home, Tommy said, I believe God has already began to answer our prayers. Just think of his sending a worker who had been through all this liberal stuff that is binding this man from any power really to help change lives. I watched his face while you talked and many of your points went home, though he was he was too proud to acknowledge it. I have faith now to believe that God will bring Mr. K back to the faith. Let us agree together on Matthew eighteen nineteen, and add this request to our daily prayers. Tommy proved to be the most rare companion. 
She had a keen sense of humor and a droll wit simply poured from her. Visitation was in itself a grim experience for me. Those dark, dirty tenement houses with broken stairs, bad plumbing, which often made the place reek, and whole families cooped up in one small room sometimes, would have terrified me if I had been alone. But Tommy always had a merry retort or a comment for a stub toe or an offended nose, a remark so pungent in its truth and a- application that I was shaken with laughter, which often helped me overcome my distaste. She always took the brunt of the first attack, so to speak. She was an artist at tactful approach, and I sat at her feet and tried to learn. More than 30 years have passed since those days, so I cannot remember details of her personal work conversations or of her delightful wit. But I do remember one incident. In a long, dark hall of an old tenement house, we were going from door to door, seeking entrance and opportunities for conversation. One door was opened by a big brute of a man who scrawled at us and shouted, What are you after? What are you doing here? Brother, Tommy smiled up at him with her soft southern draw. We're a couple of friends who are interested in seeing that you get a better deal. Won't you let us come in and talk a moment? Ah, come on, growled the man suspiciously. Nobody's really interested in helping us. What's your life? Salesman? Politics? Whatever it is, we ain't interested. And he moved to the door as if to bang it in our faces. Now, brother, piped up Tommy plainly, a pair of poor, tired girls can't hurt a big fella like you. Won't you even offer us a chair a moment? We've been on our feet for hours, and we did hope. A woman's voice came from within. They can sit down a moment, can't they, Bill? I know what it's like to have tired feet. Bill cursed bitterly, but left the door open. He turned and stalked to the far side of the dismal room. Tommy, with her droll remark about her feet, made the woman laugh, and a conversation was soon underway. The Lord's name was no sooner uttered, however, than Bill appeared in our midst again, eyes blazing with anger. So it's religious slut you are. That's the worst of all. I'm not going to have any blankety-blank, he swore profusely, whining around here. I'm an atheist, I am, and so on. Tommy turned on her loving, merry humor. I do not know how she did it, except that the Spirit of God was working with her. But she had him quieted and listening before we left. If I remember rightly, his wife decided for Christ. Almost every visitation day, some soul made that decision for eternity. Dear Tommy, it was she who taught me that loving folks is the only way to approach them for the Lord Jesus Christ. In the primary department of the church also, God began to work. The children started to ask the Lord to come into their hearts. Mr. K was interested and indifferent by turns. Sometimes he would ignore us for weeks, almost as if antagonistic. On other occasions, he would come into our Sunday school and listen and watch and invite us around for a meal. How we labored in prayer for this man. Tommy, with her cute remarks in the dark hallways of the tenement houses, was one person, on her knees praying for the salvation of souls and the reclaiming of Mr. K. She was quite a different person. Yet the two sides of her character blended into one another. If you only heard her jokes, you would have never guessed at her tears and her passionate pleas for the sin-bound souls. In my second term, I asked to be reappointed to the same assignment. Tommy and I both felt the Lord's work was not completed in that place. But that was the term that I fell ill and lost six weeks of study. Of course, I could not go with Tommy. At the end of that term, she graduated and left for Mexico. But there was one more precious thing yet to record. 
After I came out of the infirmary and just before Tommy left the institute, we were both called down to the reception room one day. To our surprise, it was Mr. K. He was a changed man, and his face wore a gentle, chastened look. There was a light there we had never seen before. I'm calling on you girls to tell you that the Lord has answered your prayers for me, he said. I've come back to him. It's been a bitter fight, as you doubtless have watched and seen. Pride refused to be crucified for a long time. But week by week, it became more evident to me that the word you girls preached was a power of God unto salvation. Lives were changed through your ministry. My honesty had to admit it. Nobody was changed through mine. Maybe you don't know that I began to preach the Bible again when I saw how God used your Bible teaching. But nothing happened. Then I had to come to the place where I was willing to preach the cross of Christ as the only way, the blood of the Redeemer as the only atonement for our sins. The preaching of the cross worked for me as well as for you. There has been an awful fuss. I made a confession in the pulpit and stopped the Sunday dances. Attendance picked up. The church was filled for services. But the committee got wind of what I had done, and they were very angry. Tears came into his eyes. In short, they dismissed me. But I have a little country church appointment now and will be moving out there with my family. I can preach the truth there. My wife is wholeheartedly with me, and we both feel we have to thank you, too. God bless you. And God bless the school that D.L. Moody founded. With tears in our eyes and awe in our heart, we said a hearty amen. We did not see Mr. K. again. Next time will be Chapter 9, Spiritual Provision. I love you. I'm praying for you. And bye-bye for now.